This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 73. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Okay, today we're talking to Michelle Gielen. Uh, welcome, Michelle. Who are you and why are you famous in the world of positive psychology? Oh, you're sweet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Um, so I am officially the founder of the Institute for Applied Positive Research. I fell in love with positive psychology while as a national news anchor for CBS News in New York. I was anchoring two national newscasts there, got tired of telling negative news stories. I know a lot of people are tired of watching the negative news and uh, looked for a way to talk about challenges in our lives, both on the news and in our businesses or around the dinner table, in a way that actually empowered people and left them feeling ready to take action. Um, So we experimented at CBS News with Happy Week, which is all about positive psychology, how in the midst of the Great Recession to use the science of happiness and human potential um, to rethink, you know, things that are not working in your life. And we got the greatest viewer response of the year. So since then, um, I went and got a master's in positive psychology and have been working to arm everyone. Um, these are people who work in businesses. These are stay-at-home moms. These are, um, you know, really, I mean, in the education space, anyone who's interested in bringing out the best in themselves and others, arming those people with the information they need from positive psychology to do that. Um, and so, and then I'm also the author of the book, Broadcasting Happiness. Right. So did you have one of those almost classic stories where you have the job, you have it all and you kind of feel this growing discontent or were you actually lucky in the sense that you actually work for a forward thinking organization that was kind of starting to go through the same thought process as you were? Um, It's a little bit of half and half. Uh, The great thing was that I had phenomenal producers and uh, and other colleagues that you know worked on the show with me that when I came to them and said listen we've got to change our story we've got to be talking about people losing their homes and jobs and, and retirement savings in a different way that doesn't just leave people feeling depressed um, those my producers said yeah okay let's do it let's experiment let's try it out um, and I think uh, though I, you know this is in the midst of an, uh, working in an industry overall that um, there's bright lights and then there are folks that are still stuck in disempowering stories, stories that leave us depressed, stories that leave us feeling hopeless. Uh, I just completed a study recently with my husband and fellow researcher, Sean Acor, which if people know positive psychology, I'm sure they've heard of him. Um, and then also with Ariana Huffington. And what we looked at was the influence of, of negative news on the brain. And partic- in particular, what we found is just three minutes of negative news in the morning can lead to a 27% higher likelihood of you reporting your day as unhappy six to eight hours later. So what that shows us is that news and the and also the stories that we tell can have such an influence on our mindset. Um, so I see media as a whole making a shift away from just telling sensational negative stories to talking about news uh, that focuses on solutions or is that's inspiring. Uh, but it's, you know, it takes a while to right the ship. Um, meanwhile, though, I see so many examples of individuals, you know, and organizations, not in the news industry, just in, in the rest of the world, um, making 
that shift and already living that bright light that they can do. Right. So um, in your book, you talk about um, broadcasting happiness and you talk about broadcasters. So I think in the conventional um, vernacular, that's a word that is reserved for media folks like you. So how do you define a broadcaster? Well, when I, when I was studying at the University of Pennsylvania and looking at how we can rethink the stories that we tell, I had this epiphany about all of us, which is that we're all broadcasters. I mean, think about it. As parents, as leaders, as friends, as colleagues, we are constantly broadcasting information to the people around us. We see something on TV or we read something in, at work or we hear about something from a friend. We digest it in our mind almost like a producer would to choose what's important. And then we transmit the information to other people. And the, the choices that we make on whether we focus on the negative or we focus on empowering parts of our reality not only influences how other people move through stress, change, and challenges, but it also creates our reality. It creates our levels of success. Um, those small choices or changes can either create success or hold us back. Um, and additionally, what we're finding in the research is that when we make small shifts to the way we communicate, when we choose to talk about uh, the, the meaning embedded in the work that we're doing, the ways in which we're grateful for the reality that we have, or the ways in which we feel connected to other people, when we talk about those empowering parts of our reality, we influence every single business and educational outcome we know how to track. 31% higher levels of productive energy, 37% higher levels of sales. Want a promotion over the next year? You raise your chances by 40% and also decrease the uh, negative effects of stress, like headaches, backaches, and fatigue, by 23%. Those, yeah, th those are all, I mean, incredible numbers. But does that mean that we're not, like, how do we deal with things which are negative? Do we just, are we supposed to just not talk about them? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, so one time I went over to my niece's house. She was about six years old at the time. And she said, I've been ostrich-sized to my room all day. And I said, you know, and so my husband who went to Harvard jokes around because her parents went to Harvard as well. said, oh, the reason why she uses such big words is because she went to Harvard. The reason why she misuses them is because she later went on to Yale. <laughs> yeah, he, like, there's that rivalry. Um, but after she said that, I sort of thought that that's the perfect word. When it comes to our happiness, in order to maintain a modicum of happiness, a lot of us have adopted this sort of ostrich-sized approach, right? We stick our heads in the sand. We don't want to hear about anything negative because it could, it, you know, it could make us feel bad. Um, but what we're seeing, though, is there's a much stronger approach. It's not just about protecting ourselves from the negative. Instead, it's about in the face of challenges and negative events, taking a realistic assessment of the present moment while maintaining a belief that our behavior matters. And that is the, basically the definition of optimism. It's the expectation of good things to happen, the belief that our behavior matters, especially in the face of challenges, and it's being able to rationally and realistically see what's happening, right? Because if we ignore the markets or we ignore, uh, you know, God forbid, a shooter in our neighborhood, I mean, that could put us in danger. Um, so it's, we really want to see the problem, but we just want to take an empowered and activated approach to it as opposed to just sticking our heads in the sand. 
Right. Okay. So you do share a couple of strategies that we can all adopt. Are you willing to share some of those? Absolutely. So the number one strategy that I um, included in my book right at the beginning was this idea of the power lead. If you are dealing with negative people or you want to make sure to get the best out of other people, you can lead the conversation with with the power lead, which is beginning conversations by saying something positive and meaningful. Um, The reason that's so important is that uh, if I know as a researcher the first few words of a conversation, I have a high degree of likelihood of predicting the outcome of that conversation. We've all been sitting in a meeting where someone starts off with something negative, complaining, or saying, you know, this company is is going down the tubes, and then it just feels like the meeting goes down even worse from there. Um, but what when we start off with something positive, for instance, mine this morning might have been, oh, I had breakfast with my son this morning, and he was being so cute. You know, I'm doing great. Uh, but by offering up that simple, positive lead to a conversation, you're setting the social script, giving other people license to talk about something positive and even prompting them. And hopefully, they're going to match in kind. Too often, I think we, uh, you know, when people ask, how are you, we might say, oh, I'm stressed or, oh, I'm tired, or we scan the world for one pit, bit of negative news. Um, or we just say, oh, I'm fine, thank you. But neutrality is a missed opportunity for positivity, and when we start with something negative, there's only two responses. Either so, someone meets us with compassion, or they meet us by with negativity as well by playing misery poker. Uh, when we start with the power lead, we get not only opportunities to connect with other people, but we get opportunities um, to set the social script to positive in a meaningful way. Right. I actually, I tr- I tried that at work after reading your book. And I noticed that I, I do a good job when it's just one-to-one conversations. That's That's easy because then you can kind of, you have a little bit more control of the whole dynamic. I also noticed that it's absolutely great when you meet someone new. So for example, I I met a guy from some kind of project and it's the kind of project that I have to be honest, I, I would be like super cynical about because I'm I'm kind of the, the specialist and, and that's, you know, the kind of the prototypical project person who has no clue what we're doing. And, <laughs> and, and, and I was just like, okay, you know what? Um, it doesn't matter if that's true or not. I'll, I'll just try and go with that approach. And I have to say that even after it turned out that a lot of people, you know, shared the more cynical view about that person. I have to say that because we had a really positive initial first conversation, I kind of always managed to feel good about him and and kind of also and be a bit more maybe forgiving about things that he didn't pick up on or should have. But I've also noticed that that's very hard, at least for me, if I'm trying to do it in a place where which it already has established social scripts so to speak i mean i don't know if if you've encountered something like this or not but or maybe the u.s is just more positive and more i don't know but do you know what i'm talking about or not so much yes no absolutely well people like to joke that us americans we're just happy all the time (laughs) but i can tell you as one from the inside we're not (laughs) i think we're we're a lot like a lot of other cultures um but i know exactly what you're talking about because, uh, you know, so the, one of the main questions I get when I give presentations at companies on our research is, you know, well, who's more powerful in setting the group dynamic? Is it the negative person or the positive person? 
And what they're often thinking about is that one really negative person on a team that kind of brings everybody down. How do you deal with that person? Uh, and what I've come to see from the research is it's actually not the most negative person that's most powerful, nor the most positive person. It's the person who's most expressive of their mindset. So if there is a group dynamic in which it's okay to complain, it's okay to stand around the water cooler and talk badly about colleagues, or to take a sort of disempowered approach to projects, well, we're never going to make this work, then what happens is um, other people might start to adopt that. But if we see that by being more, uh, more expressive of our own positive thoughts about people or a project or things going on, we can help tip, tip that social script away from negativity and towards positivity. Um, we've all been, I think, or seen this happen where it's, you know, you, there's a conversation going on and someone, let's say, is talking badly about another person in a group setting, right? And everyone's kind of like standing there nodding or, or weighing in. And then, you know, brave is the, is the person who comes along and says, well, I, I actually like that person. You know, if that happens, the social script grinds to a halt and hopefully that person who said that has enough social capital to sway everybody, but it is possible then to say, hey, you know, basically in a quiet way, we don't talk, let's not talk negatively about people or, you know, this person doesn't deserve to have this criticism leveled at them or whatever it is, but to shift that culture from negative to positive. Right. Now, I remember you, now I don't remember the number, where, whether it was the silent 31 or 33 or something like that. Could you talk about that, please? Yeah. So these are closet optimists. We did a study with Training Magazine and we found that 31% of people in any given organizations is cross industry are optimistic, but they're not expressive of that mindset. So what that means is that you have a one in three chance that the people sitting near you already have a positive mindset. They're just not saying anything. And what that means is for those people who are, are aiming to get the culture too positive, uh, you have allies. Um, and the best way to activate them is by modeling this positive behavior, the, the being expressive of one's positive mindset. Um, when uh, someone presents an idea, for instance, at work, uh, do you are, are you quick to speak up and support it if that's how you feel? By doing so, you're giving license to those other people to speak up. You know, at home, uh, when you're sitting around the dinner table, in order to get your kids to be more grateful or at least expressive of their gratitude, the best way to do that is by modeling the practice of gratitude yourself. Go around get and get everyone to go around the table and say three new and unique things they're grateful for from that day. Um, I just heard the best story recently. We worked with a guy. He sold his company for $100 million. And you'd think that he would have, I mean, this would be amazing, right? He'd like have a party that night. He'd be so happy. He achieved his goal. And that night he ended up having an anxiety attack. So his wife said, okay, obviously something's amiss here. Why don't we go ahead and go for a walk? So she took him to the local track at the um, at the local high school down the street, and they went walking around the track, and she said, let's just talk about things we're grateful for. And so they started listing off everything they could think of. And he felt a little better, so the next night they did the same thing. The next night after that, they did the same thing. Cut to two weeks later, he's really feeling much better. And he says, you know, I benefited so much from this practice. Why don't we go ahead and import this behavior to the dinner table, and let's start dinners off like this. So the five-year-old thought it was cute, 13-year-old rolled her eyes at the practice, as a teenager would, you know, obviously do. <laughs> and then um, 
but they they participated. Anyway, two weeks after that, he gets a phone call from a dad of a daughter of you know one of this old the older girl's classmates, and she said, "I've got to talk to you about your daughter." So the dad said, "Oh no, what did she do now?" Well, it turns out what she had done was she knew that there were girls at school being mean to a lot of the girls. And so at this sleepover that was at this guy's house, you know, with their daughters, he got all the girls to sit down in a circle, or she got all the girls to sit down in a circle and go around the circle and say one or two nice things about the other girls in the room. Um, so what I, I love about this is it shows us, it reminds us our power to model this positive behavior. The wife modeled it for the husband. The husband then imported it to the dinner table. The, the daughter then brought it to the sleepover. And who knows how far this positive ripple effect goes when we are expressive of, of the things we're grateful for, the ways in which life is, is amazing, the things that we can savor about a trip that we were on recently or what, whatever you choose to talk about the more you give license to other people to speak up about their positive mindset as well. Yeah, thanks for that. And and also the good thing is that not everybody was initially happy. Like the 13-year-old, you wouldn't expect that she's the one, you know, spreading it, but she is. And I'd like to add, I kind of had a little situation where we, we went to a group management course and then there there just came a point, I kept offering, you know, different things that we could do and and nobody ever bought it. And at some point I noticed that I got really, really, I, I was like, okay, if I stay here, I'll get really annoyed. Um, <laughs> and, and then I was like, um, okay, I, I will step down from this post. I, I don't feel like moderating this anymore, but I want you all to know that I don't feel bad about you. You know, as we go home tonight, I'm, I'm not going to have a grudge or anything, but I just feel that if I stay here, um, I will really, really get, you know, eventually, pissed off and and it was interesting to me like for me that was just the way I you know I felt that moment and then everybody came up to me and they were like it's so liberating we kind of didn't understand that you could also communicate something difficult in a way like that because we often talk about gratitude and all of that but you can actually model the positive behavior with difficult things and I think that's especially important for people who are maybe a little bit more skeptic, uh, you know, who are a bit skeptics about these things, where you're like, okay, maybe you're not the person to share your gratitude, but if you actually even share your discontent in style and in a generous way, even that can help people um, to communicate more authentically, and then they can maybe even move on to the gratitude and all of that, which we all did afterwards, afterwards, it was fine. So yeah, thanks for sharing yeah. that. I love that story. And I love that you felt the you know a comfortable courage to do that because that that does take courage to be able in challenging moments to speak your mind to do it with class and with um, you know with composure but also get the point across so and and I think that those those can be incredible learning moments for other people because again that's that's you writing the social script when there are challenging times. You know, sometimes people hear about positive psychology, and I think to speak to your point, and they say, you know, or, you know, if I give a presentation, I once had a manager come up to me and he said, well, I love all this happiness research, so you know what? I'm not talking to my team about anything negative anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, are you kidding me? You're running a multinational company, and this is a conclusion you came to? Oi, oi, oi. And so uh, what we ended up, I mean, talking about was how you can talk about the negative, but do it in a way that fuels growth 
and has an optimistic spirit about it. Um, I, in the second study that I did in the series with Ariana Huffington and Sean Acor, what we found is that when you're talking about a problem, if you merely stop there, you just just dump the problem on people, it's actually bad for the brain. Whereas if you pair a discussion of a problem with a discussion of potential or actual solutions that they can take or you know, foster a brainstorming session, it can have significant positive impact on the brain. Specifically, in the study what we did was we tested people's mood before and after and also their cog uh, creative problem solving before and after reading an article that was either just the problem or the problem plus these potential or actual solutions that they could take right now. And what we found is a people in that latter category who just thought about what they potentially could do were uh, their creative problem solving increased by 20% on, on subsequent unrelated tasks. Um, not to mention they also felt better, 19% less agitated, 23% less uptight. What that shows us is if you can show the brain a path forward in one domain and talk about the negative in an activated way, not only does that help you overcome that particular challenge, but it also unlocks this creative problem solving that helps people in many different ways moving forward. Right, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Now, I'd like to shift a little bit. Um, we talk now more about the individual and maybe the company. Now, I'm curious, especially in the light of uh, Brexit and uh, Donald Trump's uh, very unusual campaign, I was wondering, what do you think we can do about how news portrays politics? Politics, I think, is the number one challenging area when it comes to rethinking the way we do news. There has become this element of sport about it, and there's a lot of noise. If we really think about the issues, and we think about the information that we need to know uh, in order to make the best decisions possible, whether it be for the candidate you vote for or just to be educated on an issue so when you and your own personal life can make good decisions, uh, there, if you were to parse out the information that would answer that versus just stuff being flung from one side to the other, and there's so, I mean, the, the, the percentage of noise is astronomical. Um, so uh, I think that if we were to rethink, uh, you know, news coverage or even how we as individuals talk about these um, the, the, the you know months leading up to the election in a way uh, that fuels growth and fuels educated decisions. I think what we need to do is uh, is just you know cut the noise, find the signal, um, and and stay true to the the, the issues and the situations. Um, but politics, you know, it, it's really challenging because sometimes I feel more like we're in a movie trailer or in the opening match of a sports game than we are talking about some of the most important issues that we'll ever face as uh, as citizens. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so if you project into the future and you imagine that you are, you continue to be super successful on your mission, what will media look like and how will people act in 20 years? Oh, so I wrote up something called the Journalist Manifesto and if anybody's interested, they can download it for free at transformativejournalism.com. It's also in the back of my book. 
Um, and uh, and what I, it's it's my hope for the world of media, and it basically is this: transformative journalism is an activating, engaging, solutions-focused response to the news. So we're not ignoring the negative. Uh, we're not reporting on all the stories that we report on right now because I don't think certain negative stories are actually news for the wider community. But when there is uh, something that a challenge that we're facing, we look at it as this is the first piece of the story, but we have to move the story further from there. So transformative journalism activates the belief in, in people that their behavior matters. Uh, it engages the public through discussion and calls to action. And ultimately, it helps us see potential or actual solutions that we can take. Um, so, uh, and then I think there's also a major component, which is the positive news, which is not puppies and kitties. It is, um, it's actually looking at inspirational stories, stories about people or organizations that have overcome challenges, how exactly they've done it. And these stories will give us sort of a, a boost of positive energy and great ideas so that we can import those into our lives. When uh, the media right now is missing the opportunity to leverage this incredible power that it has to transform society, to sort of be the light. You know, there's questions of, are, is the media... Um, uh, you know, leaders or reflectors? Are you just are you just reflecting what's happening in the world or are you actually leading the world? And I think just by the selection of the story, the word choice used to describe it, and, and a whole host of other tiny decisions and big decisions that the media makes on a regular basis, they are no longer reflecting what's happening in the world. They are leaders in these choices. And when they fully see that power, I think that, and the, the implications it has for societal forward progress, that's when I think ultimately all journalists will choose to change their story. And as I mentioned, there's many people in media that right now are those bright lights and have made that shift, but we're still waiting for uh, the industry as a whole to make that change. All right. So where can people find out more about you and your book? Um, the easiest URL is broadcastinghappiness.com. Um, and uh, we. one thing I invite everyone to take is my colleagues and I developed something called a success scale, which tests for the three greatest predictors of long-term levels of success. This is primarily in the work domain, but if instead of saying, you know, as you're looking at the questions, instead of thinking at work, think in my relationship or at home, um, the assessment will work just as well. And what it tests for is your levels of work optimism, positive engagement, and support provision. It's a free 30-question, three-minute assessment. You'll get your scores and an interpretive report, and you can find it at broadcastinghappiness.com. Perfect. Um, is there anything you want to share before we come to an end? Uh, the last thing I would love to share is this idea about, you know, I think a lot of people have had this experience where you say, uh, you know, you, we've had one negative person in our lives, and we've tried to influence them, help them emerge from this, debilitating story, you know, that they're not good enough, that they don't deserve something, they can't get a job, whatever it is, or that the world is falling apart, right? They're just being completely negative in that regard. Um, so we've tried to show them the light, and it hasn't worked. And so I think that a lot of people, myself included for a long time, globalize this this thought, which says, well, if I can't change other people, if I can't change this person, then I can't change other people. I can't change people in general. And so they stop trying. What we're finding now in the research is a compelling body of research that says 
No, you actually can change other people. You can change them in mere seconds. You can change how they see their life, how they see their potential. Um, it might not happen exactly the way you want or on your schedule, but it does happen. And so the more we show up as those positive broadcasters and talk about uh, what I call the activating fuel, you know, like we've mentioned, the, the gratitudes, the things, the meaning embedded in the work that we're doing and all the other good things going on um, or their potential, how they've already been successful or why this world is a wonderful place to live overall the more that we influence people in a positive direction. So I'd say ultimately it's about remembering that power um, so that we don't feel disempowered. We feel, we feel ready to, um, to, to broadcast our positive message in a meaningful way that helps influence others. Thank you so much. That's a really inspirational ending to this conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you felt inspired to become a positive broadcaster yourself. Now, we have two new reviews, one from Australia and one from Ireland. Now, before I read them to you, I just want you to understand in what context I received them. So I have the email set up that I received the reviews while I'm working at the bank. And I get them shortly after lunch on, I think, Mondays. And... It makes me feel like I have this little secret love affair with the rest of the world that none of my colleagues know about because I, I hear get to hear all these really nice things and I get to enjoy them and it feels sweet and exquisite and sometimes really, really moving depending on what you're talking about. So thank you so much. Here they are. Life Changing by Gunthurbed from Australia. Thank you, Kristen, for dedicating so much time understanding positive psychology and delivering it in a way for all to understand. Your work helped me through a rough time and has continued to be a positive influence. Thank you, Mark from Newcastle, New South Wales in Australia. Thank you very much, Mark. I I hope that rough patch is, you know, over as and that you are, as cliched as it sounds, that you are actually stronger after it and feel more confident to deal with life in general. Then there's a review from Anna from Ireland. So good. This is the most listener-focused podcast I know. I really like, if I really feel like Kristen was talking to me and about me. Her style and tone is totally unique. She's warm and intimate, but also funny like a perfect friend. Thank you for that, Kristen. Never, ever stop podcasting. Thank you so much, Anna. I I am absolutely confident that you are the first reviewer from Ireland. So yay! Thank you very much. And yeah, I, I like to imagine that I, I, I'll like, I don't know, 95 years old. And I'm like, okay, this is podcast episode. Five thousand and hundred and two <laughs> so let's see if it comes to that thank you very much for the encouragement it was really really sweet to to read that thanks so much if you enjoyed this episode you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on itunes or stitcher we would love to hear from you at kristen at strengthphoenix.com for show notes and more head over to www 
S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-S-P-H-O-E-N-I-X.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. <laughs>